Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Uroj, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Nikola Boyko, CEO and co-founder of Embed Social, a company that offers a way for user-generated content from social networks to become a part of any website. In this episode, we discuss how they were trying to find an idea for a product and at the end, they just solved their own problem, found the idea, and why they were not aware of that for quite some time, why they decided on going all in on the product and closed down the agency and what that meant for them, why they use freemium business model and what tactics do they use to convert free users to paid ones, and why they decided to raise prices multiple times. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi, Nicola. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited, let's say, that you're uh, founder of the first Macedonian company on our podcast, so we opened a new country, so thank you for that. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, let's say you are now a product company, let's say Embed Social, but it didn't start this way if I'm... I'm for I'm informed correct correctly. Let's see. So, how did this product idea came to be, and where did it all started? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a long story. I will try to uh, to shorten it uh, a, li- a little bit. Uh, basically, we we started more than ten years ago in the time of the financial crisis when companies were cutting their first and foremost the marketing budgets due to the financial world financial crisis. And they were trying to find a new marketing channel that will help them uh, get more clients uh, more efficiently. At that time, we saw uh, a gap in the market with digital marketing. And we were fresh out of uh, college. So we decided to start a website blog to write about uh, internet marketing. Uh, techniques, digital marketing, and we started a digital marketing agency. So we used this gap because nobody else was offering this kind of services in Macedonia at the time uh, to quickly start uh, working with uh, some of the big brands like Studio Moderna, uh, McDonald's, Microsoft. And after uh, the uh, big marketing uh, agencies uh, saw uh, the need and saw that uh, they are losing part of their marketing budget to us. No, no matter how small it was for them, but they started uh, to offer this uh, this kind of services as well. So we started to also work with them because they they wanted to offer this kind of services, but they needed a partner. So we we made a small uh, shift into more technical uh, digital marketing agency. So we're basically. Uh, creating all their uh, Facebook apps, running uh, Facebook campaigns, managing Facebook pages. And um, 
the big uh, break for us came, I think uh, it was 2012 uh, when we were uh, recognized as a Facebook marketing partner uh, agency. So we were the only one from Macedonia and I think one of the few uh, in the region. And in all, I think uh, there were around 100 uh, companies worldwide. So this gave us exposure to how Facebook works. We were invited in uh, partner conferences who were invite only in London and San Francisco. And we basically saw that Facebook was going to be this uh, huge, massive thing. So we bet the agency on Facebook. So we specialized in everything related to Facebook. We uh, started playing around with their API. We got some access to their early marketing API. And uh, we started, uh, as companies uh, started to invest more in digital marketing and started to bring people in-house to do the digital marketing for them, uh, we started to develop tools those people could use, like to schedule posts in the early days, uh, to create photo contests uh, and stuff like that. So we were doing great, right? Uh, The agency was growing. We started uh, a few people and uh, i think at the high we were like 20 people so we were doing regional campaigns for heineken uh, for lufthansa for uh, big big international brands we were working with big marketing agencies Uh, but something was missing you know Uh, we were uh, always trying to there was a niche to build our own product Uh, so we had a few uh, failed attempts like we built uh, e-commerce store inside Facebook for t-shirts and it started great Uh, with just one euro marketing budget we managed to sell 100 t-shirts and then uh, a Balkan thing happened there were elections and there was no printing uh, company available to print our shirts they were all printing uh, materials for the elections you know so (laughs) we had to close down the uh, the shop because we realized we are good at building the shop and marketing, but we are not good in the logistics parts with finding a, a stable partner and uh, providing the same quality of the t-shirts. Uh, we tried to build like uh, scheduling software for Facebook posts and managing pages, but Facebook was quicker than us to release these features natively. So that didn't work. We built Influencer Network back in, I think, 2013, where we ran a few campaigns, uh, one for Coca-Cola and for some few local brands, which had some great success. But at the end, it didn't work out because there was nobody who was committed only to this. It was done. We were doing the technical part and another uh, digital agency were doing the, the sales and marketing. And there was nobody who was just focused on this uh, influencer platform and uh, looking now in hindsight it was basically i think a bit too early the timing we didn't get the timing right and uh, so one day what happened is that uh, kate came uh, into the office and she said like uh, why do i have to do this repetitive thing like we have this client they had this event so they took photos so now we need to upload the photos on uh, facebook page and also on their website And she was like, can we just uh, take the photos from the Facebook page and automatically display them on the website? You know, it's easier to upload photos in Facebook than on uh, some CMS. And she sat down with two of our developers. I think very quickly they created this plugin. 
we called it Embed Social. We created one landing page where you will just input the link of the Facebook album. We'll generate the iframe code, and that was it. You know? So we we did that, and we somehow forgot about that. So this was not yet a product. No, no, no. This was this was just like uh, I don't know something that was useful internally for us, and we thought it might be useful for some other users, bloggers. So. It was uh, only free, uh, free version, and uh, there was no support, nothing, you know. And we totally forgot about that. So one day our server crashed, you know, and it was, we were running some campaigns, and we had customers calling us, "What's going on? Why is our campaigns, the applications down? Our website is down. We're spending money, blah blah blah." You know the drill. And uh, we were trying to debug what's the reason. So we found out that a big news portal in Malaysia actually used the widget on their homepage with millions of visits. So that that crashed the server, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was the, the moment that we were like, okay, if somebody is using this uh, widget on their website, you know, let's give them support. Let's uh, make a paid version. Let's uh, try to build it into into a product. And after that, basically, that's how we uh, we uh, we switched from agency work to a to a product to a product company. We were lucky uh, this time with the timing that for the first time in Macedonia, the government started a fund for innovation. So they just uh, announced a call for uh, startups to fund uh, projects. And we are like, okay, let's use this call as our homework. We'll prepare all the business plans, uh, financials and everything. And uh, if we get uh, the funding, great. If we don't get it, we'll, we'll still bootstrap and develop this product on our own. Luckily, we were selected among the 10 projects to be funded. We got a 30K investment, which now we've successfully returned fully. So, uh, and we were the first startup to... Uh, to return this this investment uh, and we had uh, we tried to run both the agency and the product uh, in the same time uh, but you know the, the balkan mentality is like yeah you're a great uh, project manager but i'll call the uh, ceo and i'll arrange things with him you know so i was uh, losing a, a lot of focus from the product work with the agency work and basically I was still spending a lot of time with agency projects, and in the end, we made a difficult decision to go all in on the product. So we downscaled to four people, I think, in the end, out of 20. We helped the rest of the team find jobs. And uh, yeah, we went all in on the on the product. So it... Uh, took us, I think... At the time, did you already have sales of the product, uh, let's say... Yeah, but very small sales. Like we we started, I think our initial price was like $5 per month. So we were getting one new user per day. So that was like uh, in the first month, we were making what, 30 users, uh, $150 uh, per month. So (laughs) the the, the SaaS problem, let's say. Yeah, yeah. But the important thing was that we were getting one new user every day and the the old user were continuing to pay, right? So that's the beauty of the SaaS. So once somebody starts paying, 
if you have a good product and the churn is low, you will uh, you continue to accumulate new users over time. So was this Malaysian portal one of your first customers or not? no 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 <laughs> no no they, they were they, they were not but we still have uh, customers who are paying not even not even five but uh, we uh, we send an email to all, all of the because uh, we didn't even have emails uh, of the users right they were coming to the website they would just put the link and they would get the iframe code there was no re- registration nothing so. So we just uh, put a banner on the website uh, and we tried to gather some emails of the users, you know, and we sent out like, okay, have uh, 50% lifetime uh, discount. So we still have users who are paying two and a half dollars and they get now access to everything we do. So they were paying just for one product, but now uh, we're really grateful for their trust in us. So now they have access to all of our products for just two and a half dollars per month. But how did you f- fund it, this gap? Let's say, because I remember, let's say, we also had an agency at the beginning. Yeah. Then we were only on a product that we actually used. But I remember as a CEO, then I projected, okay, we will have, we will need to have money for three months, and then the revenues will probably get back some. It didn't happen this way, but let's say there's a gap. Let's say because the SaaS revenues don't grow; they are not front loaded. Let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we were lucky to get this 30k investment from the fund of innovation oh, okay. that we we used, and also we invested uh, a lot of our money that we were the profits that we were previously making with the digital agency we were uh, reinvesting. And I think that due to the low cost that we have, uh, we were we were break even. I think probably in a few months uh in six months after we switched from agency to to product i think in six months we were we were breaking okay for me i hear something hidden here let's say low cost this means that you didn't pay yourself very very well at the beginning yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were paying ourselves the minimum wage so. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's the uh, that that's the the way we were just uh, making some some small money but after we you break even, then you can every additional profit you make, you can increase the salaries and hire new people. Uh, and what let's say, how did you acquire the customers? Let's say one per day. It's not so bad. Let's say it's quite good actually. So how did uh, the customer outreach look like that? So, yeah, well, we were uh, we, we did this unintentionally. I think we were lucky that uh, we. When we created this landing page for this widget, uh, since the marketing agency was uh, recognized as a Facebook marketing partner, we sent an email to two blogs at the time who were covering Facebook. Uh, I think they were all Facebook or and inside Facebook, something like that. They were writing news about Facebook. They published these blog posts about uh, our widget. And from their own uh Bloggers started blogging about this in uh, their own native language, like in Germany, in Brazil, and people started using this, you know. Uh, so uh, we got a uh, good SEO. So we had a lot of links uh, from blogs from all around the world. So when we uh, set up uh, the improved the, the website, we set up the blog, uh, basically 
Uh, we focused on content marketing and uh, we were uh, trying to answer questions on Quora. We were going to forums where users were asking about, uh, let's say, Facebook albums or reviews. And we were just uh, trying to get our first uh, 100 uh, customers. So basically, we were hustling uh, our way. Uh, and the good thing was that the initial organic virality of the uh, product helped uh, a lot itself. What, what do you mean by organic virality? Uh, well, if you put the widget uh, on your website, there was a banner like Embed Social. So we were getting traffic from this Malaysian website from the rest of the, the users, you know. Even for paid users, yeah, you no, still... no, for paid not, but for free. So we were, uh, so we had a lot of uh, free users from the start. It was the challenge was to get them to to the paid users, but uh, the free users were helping us get uh, more traffic, uh, more brand awareness, and SEO uh, links as well. So, how did you approach this? Uh, let's say upgrade challenge. Let's say uh, to get them to the paid users from the free version. Well, we tried a lot of things. So I, I think that we tried uh, reaching out. We tried building templates, new layouts that were more uh, beautiful, and they were only available available in the paid uh, paid version. We added some features that they were requesting uh, a lot that were only available in the paid uh, plan. And I think the the biggest reason was the initially was the automation that we could uh, so not only that so for the free version you could only insert a link to a facebook album but in the paid version if you put a link uh, from a facebook page we would automatically get all your albums and create a gallery and then once you add a new album we will automatically add it to your website so it was more like uh, set it and forget it right so you've done this, uh, you set up this integration once and then you don't worry about it. It works automatically. So basically you had an initial product uh, and then you listened to your customers and built additional features they requested and they were all behind the paywall, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. most of them with the automation uh, stuff were behind, only available in the paid, paid plans. But and also the price. I think we started with uh, five dollars per month, which was really cheap. Uh, so we we increased that to ten, and then to to twenty, and I think now we are at thirty dollars. So yeah. Okay, what's the story behind that? Let's say you just decided because usually when I discuss with entrepreneurs, that's also some of that I mentor. I always tell them, okay, they're, and they're discussing where we can get financing. And I tell them, okay, if we tried increasing prices and they are scared shitless. So uh, why and how did you approach? <laughs> yeah, so when we started the, the company, we, we went around Macedonia to talk to other IT companies and find some mentors and some uh, valuable lessons that we can learn. At, and at the time, there were none. So we had to look outside and we were lucky to, to run into the family. It's a French uh, startup ecosystem. So basically, this is also a funny story. We were we won a local uh, pitching competition organized by TechCrunch in Skopje. And we got uh, tickets to exhibit in uh, TechCrunch Disrupt in Berlin. 
So we were in Berlin. And while we were there, we said, okay, let's find some events on scaling companies and try learn something else. And there were two events on how to scale your companies who were happening at the same time. And we went to the first one and it turned out it was just a rebroadcast from an event in San Francisco and the connection was pretty bad. So we were like, okay, we still have time to get to the other side of Berlin and catch the other event. And basically we ended up at the family office in Berlin. So this was December right before Christmas and we were impressed by their approach that they didn't care if you were from outside of European Union or whatever and at the time they had a call for a new batch of startups and uh, we said let's apply let's see what happens you know and uh, we got back home from Berlin we applied we had a call with them and after New Year's, they send an email, okay, you're in, coming uh, to Paris for an onboarding weekend. And the first thing they said was like, your price is too cheap. Has anybody complained that your price is uh, expensive? And they said like, if you don't see in the cancellation messages, price is too expensive, you're leaving money on the table. So go and increase the price. So, yeah, we, we came back from Paris. We increased the price right away. And nobody, we didn't notice. We were, we were even getting more users. Because sometimes we were focused on the quality and sometimes a cheap price can can mean that it's not a quality product. Yeah, it's a wrong signal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, but did you then get, have to give up some equity to join this? Uh, yeah, yeah, we gave uh, 5%. But we had uh, no uh, no financial investment, so we were just getting mentorship and advice. So it, it was a great thing. Was it a hard decision to, to do that? Uh, no, no, it wasn't because I think that we needed somebody uh, with an outside view because uh, we are stuck in a mindset here locally that I think from time to time you need, uh, like they have, they've helped us with a lot of decisions. Like we... No, uh, you think you know the way locally things work and then you try to replicate that uh, in another market. And we went with their help, uh, had a few meetings in Paris and everybody said, yeah, we like the product, but we need uh, account manager who speaks French. Uh, we need your, to have an office here in Paris uh, and support and marketing materials in French, you know. And we were like making a calculation, okay, how much this is going to cost. And then we went to the family and said, okay, so this is uh, how much it's going to cost. Do you think it's a wise investment? And they said like, so what can you do with this kind of money if you invest, let's say, in developers in Macedonia? And we said like, we can hire 10 developers. And they said, oh, it's an easy answer. Go hire 10 developers and build a product, you know? So let's see, now you have this product. Uh, let's say embed social focused on the photo albums and automating some stuff wasn't there let's say the danger of being too reliant on facebook and their platform mm, yeah i remember that they changed their apis each six months back then so did you experience any any problems because of that or something uh well we were uh, at that point we were working uh almost 10 years with the Facebook API. So we knew 
by we were following every day the changes they were making and i kudos to them the, the api is now more stable than ever you know and they have versioning and there are not that many breaking changes previously it would happen that everything works you come in the next day and nothing works you know there is no documentation no update so you have to figure it out you know, on yourself uh yeah it's always uh, a challenge let's say that one day they can just uh, shut down the api and uh, you will stop you know uh but we we see that uh, more of an opportunity because more people are scared and they are uh, afraid to invest in these uh, integrations from the way i see it um, one of the reasons maybe that facebook was so successful is because they opened up uh, the api so you had a lot of people making money from their platform like zynga and all the big companies who were acquired by salesforce adobe uh, who were offering scheduling capabilities reports uh, bulk creating uh, ads and stuff like that so i think that because they opened up the platform to developers there were a lot of fun things to do on facebook you can play games you can uh, create you can join contests with your friends you can Login in other websites with Facebook, right? So I think that uh, that's one of the reasons that um, helped them not to follow in the path of MySpace and High Five and the other stories. Did you take any preventive measures, let's say, like diversifying product because of this threat, let's say? Mm, not really. Like we, yeah, we we know that Facebook now is probably the most important social media company. So if you want to do anything with social media, you can't do that without Facebook, you know. And in today's world, you cannot imagine any company that is just isolated, right? Even if you look at uh, Salesforce and all the big companies, they still have APIs. They still have uh, app stores uh, where you can make an integration. So in a way, even if you look at uh, WordPress or Shopify, right, uh, if you build a a store on on Shopify, there is always a chance that Shopify can <laughs> shut down, right? Yeah. So, uh, if you if you start thinking in that mindset that this can this can go out pretty easily one day, then I think that it's not the the world that we live in currently. Everything is interconnected, so you can connect with uh, almost any software, you can connect with any social media network, and that helps. It's a win-win both for the social media. For example, what we were trying to, to do is like uh, also help offer capabilities to create ads. So you could easily create uh, Facebook ads. So we were just giving back to Facebook as well. So we are not uh, only taking, right? So it's still a partnership uh, relationship. Okay. So uh, let's say now... If you go back, now you had a product, you were growing, let's say you increased the prices, so pro margins were probably better. So my question is connected to product management, let's mm -hmm. say. Because usually, uh, let's say in the agency, you try to, let's say, adjust to the client and still keep some kind of template or something like that to keep the profitability up. With product management, there's a different uh, decision. Let's say you have to decide what not to do so who was in charge of product management let's say uh and how did it came that now let's say if i look at your website now you have like five major pro four major products let's say so 
how this this came to be, let's say. So when were you aware of product management as a uh, function? Let's say? Uh, I think that we only recently started to be aware of product management as a, a discipline, and we we are now uh, investing uh, more in finding great and finding talent that can turn into a great product manager and giving them courses and books to read so they can develop. Basically, I think for us it was a balance that we had in the founding team. So we were like four people two technical, two business uh, people. And we had also two uh, boys and two girls, right? So there was balance. And in the early days, uh, when we were discussing about what to do or what not to do, we would have these big uh, debates that would turn out into fights and yelling and screaming, you know? But this was good because uh, this was, nobody took this personally. This was done because everybody was so convinced that his uh, idea or his uh, opinion was the correct one because they cared so deeply for the company. And the other thing is that at the end of the day, that helped us uh, get uh, more insight from four, uh, four different perspectives. Like I could see, let's say, more from the user side. Kate could see from, more from the marketing side. Denny and Ivan now, they were coming from the technical side, from the infrastructure side. So everybody would pitch in their opinion and we would argue a lot. We would go on for two hours on what to do, what not, what not to do. And in the end, we would uh, come to a decision. And once we made this decision, then everybody stick with this. There was, even if it didn't work out, nobody would say, I told you so, right? So this is something that we debated. We, in the end, we all agree that this is the best thing uh, to do. And even if it's not, then we'll learn a lesson and uh, move on. Uh, so we, I think initially what what helped us a lot was uh, these events that we went to, to San Francisco and London were organized by Facebook where we learned a lot of uh, how they think, how they approach things, how they organize work. And this hacker mentality that they have, like uh, where if there is a workaround, that's fine. That's enough. You don't have to uh, do it, right? So, for example, if somebody requested some new feature and we would think of a workaround, how he would uh, achieve that goal that he wanted to achieve, then we would uh, help him and guide him. And then we wouldn't do this as a new feature, right? So uh, this this helped us. We, we made a ton of mistakes, don't get me wrong. But I think that in the end was uh, we were talking a lot with our customers because from day one, I think we had a live chat uh, option on our website. So everybody could come and we were every day talking with, with the users. We were fixing bugs in 24 hours. We were getting feedback we were following what users were writing about us on forums and blogs and in the early days we were focused more on um, making their requests but doesn't this let's say hacker mentality lead to some kind of let's say bloated or not let's say product with bad ux let's say because you say okay it can be done you just write a, a knowledge-based article and send a link and you yeah 
isn't there some kind of uh, conflict, let's say, so that you at the end you end up with a product with a lot of feature and a lot of customizations, but bad usability? Uh, well, for us, I think maybe the nature of the product is because it's separate, right? So, for example, if you let's say look at the CRM, right? The CRM is the product, so it has to be easy to use and stuff like that. For us, our product is more like set it and forget it. And uh, the main product and the main value is the widget that you put on your website. So the, the admin part that you use, it's not really that important. It's The most important thing is to get the best widget and to have it on your website. So it will increase value so you can get gain more trust from your users and increase conversions on your website, right? And then the, the admin side, if you have this problem, you can fix with great customer support. So again, due to the low costs we have, we in, invested uh, right away in two customer success people who were answering questions in 30 seconds. So you didn't have to wait two days to get a reply, right? And uh, users were surprised because everybody else was responding in two or three days. And now we were uh, fixing their issues uh, right away. And uh, after after you reach, let's say, after we grew, we realized this, and then we invested uh, a lot in creating a design system, hiring product designers, and now you can easily redesign the UI, get rid of the features nobody is using, and improve uh, the product and focus on where most of the value comes from. Okay, I see. So you're saying basically that it's one-time activity to set it up and combined with uh, fast response times, it was not really an issue because people are willing to invest, let's say, invest a little bit more time because it's... Yeah, one one time, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, okay, I see. Okay, so there's also another decision in product management. Let's say when to split up, let's say, the functionality in separate product. So did these new products on your site now... Did they came up from this splitting of the functionality or did you came up, did you notice, okay, our customers are having a similar issue, but separate problem and we also solved this. How did you came up with this product portfolio? Let's say so. Uh, well, basically it came from the users. So uh, they said like, okay, you're doing a great job with Facebook albums. I'm also struggling to get my reviews on the website, right? So we are like, yeah, let's let's give it a try. We know the API. We let's let's try and uh, build this. So uh, I think our uh, tech team done, did a great job to set up the infrastructure at that time, so we could easily uh, create a new product. And uh, this is something that from the initial thing when we started, we were uh, always aware that we will have multiple products. So we were not, let's say that, okay, this is a great product and now what to do? But we were always thinking about adding new products, you know, trying to help small businesses get uh, more trust with uh, with their customers. And re- reviews came uh, naturally into this. So we created this uh, new product, Embed Reviews. And also financially, uh, it made sense to charge them separately, right? If we this as a feature in the same uh, product, we would lose a lot of uh, money. So uh, we said, okay, this is a great opportunity also to make more, to increase the ARPU, right? So you get make more money from the same users. And this is how we ended up with the uh, reduced product. 
And then there was some use cases uh, where we would, somebody from will say, okay, Facebook is banned in my company. So nobody can spend waste time on Facebook, but I need to show my Facebook page post internally. So can you also get the Facebook page post to, to display? So this is how Embed Feed was born. And then we added Instagram, we added YouTube. Now we're integrating TikTok into this product. And so the, the interesting thing was that this gave us, in a way, insight uh, into what our users need, right? And we figure out that our widgets were making their websites more engaging, more trustworthy. People were, were spending more time on their websites, reading reviews, looking photos and feeds. And then stories uh, showed up and everybody was uh, talking about stories and we were getting uh, a great deal of information from Facebook about stories. And we said like... Uh, it doesn't make sense for a business to invest uh, money into something that would disappear in 24 hours, right? So we we built this new product, Embed Stories, so you could uh, embed these stories on your website and reuse them and increase engagement. And in a way, it helps uh, you as a customer. So, for example, if you go to a small business website, usually they're not very updated, right? They paid some local guy to build them a website and you're not really, you don't usually know if they're open, if they're, the business is still running. And But if you see a widget that says they have a story from today, you know they are working. And uh, you can see their latest offer that they post in the story, so they don't need to update their website. So it made a lot of sense. So we were, I think, maybe the, the first company world, first or second company worldwide to offer a solution like this, where you could... Uh, embed your Instagram stories on your website. You are now mentioning some multiple times, let's say, your customers, let's say. So how did, uh, let's say, your insight into who your customer is changed over the years, let's say? Let's say who actually is your customer, let's say? Uh, yeah, mostly uh, small businesses. But who, developers, do-it-yourself person, persons, let's say? Basically, it's uh, the one-man show who is doing everything. You know, he's the business owner, he's the marketing guru, he's uh, he's doing. Uh, he, they're the main uh, user. We have also developers who are users. We have marketing agencies. So we have enterprise users as well. But uh, the core of our users is still the the small business owner uh, who is doing this and setting up uh, this by himself. So it's uh, easy for them to not have to pay an expensive developer to set up a code on their website and set up an integration with social media. So, uh, yeah, we spend a lot of time uh, talking with, with users and care about their success because it translates to, to our success as well. Just a few more questions. Let's say you mentioned customer care, let's say, phonetical. <laughs> Customer care, let's say thirty second or less. How do you manage to do this on a global level? Because let's say it's, it should be is it twenty four seven or uh, it's not twenty four seven. So basically, uh, it's uh, call it it's thirteen hours per day. So it's from nine uh, a.m. Uh, European time till ten p.m. So this covers most of the working hours for Europe. Uh, 
Eastern time and half day of West US users. So yeah, we we try we were thinking about doing twenty four seven, but we realized that it's also important to have happy uh, team members, you know. And working night third shifts, it's really taxing for your body and for your mental health. And basically, we were we were looking in the data, and most of our requests are coming in this hour. So we would get maybe single-digit number of requests in the hours that we don't operate. And, for example, when we have a holiday, we, we don't offer, like, Today, like everybody is on holiday, so we just set up intercom that we'll be back tomorrow. Okay, and you didn't take thought of uh, let's say of hiring somebody in Philippines or something like that and doing it remote this way. So we were looking at the data and it didn't make sense, you know, like just having twenty-four uh, seven uh, support just for 10, uh, 10 requests per day. It, it didn't add additional value that we were. Maybe in the future we will have uh, this, but uh, we are still following the numbers and tracking the how many users are writing at this point. Of Intercom has great analytic reports, so uh, at this point it doesn't make sense to to invest. And it, it's not just Philippines; it's still uh, you have to uh, get them to be part of the team to to have somebody to cover for them, to train them. And uh, it's not just the customer uh, support. It has to be great customer support. You have to uh, fix the problem on the spot. Uh, you have to help them right away. And I think that we are, last, last year we had around uh, 98% customer satisfaction rate. Wow. Okay, and second to last question, let's say. So uh, you mentioned at the beginning that, uh, let's say, there was no local support and you have to find it in France, let's say, with the family. Uh, has the situation changed now over the years? Because, uh, let's say, at least there's at least one company that I know of, Embedsocial, <laughs> that's successful internationally. So the, the situation has changed in uh, Macedonia. Yeah, yeah, the the situation is getting uh, getting uh, much better than let's say ten years ago when we were starting, and now there more of the young people are trying to build products instead of working outsourcing projects, uh, and uh, we also have a few other a few other startups that are rising and they they are growing uh, they. I think uh, now we're getting uh, more investments in the startups. So previously, it was hard to get, let's say, investors and mentors. Now, I think that's not the case. So now it's more of a great idea and great team that will execute. Uh, and I think that, yeah, we are trying to create the talent that hopefully will finish as a great example and a great success story and then we can the talent that we'll create will go back into the ecosystem and help with uh, de- develop and kickstart kickstart it uh, to, to rise and create new successful startups because th- that's the thing you know like we uh, 
one thing for me is that we are doing this uh, from uh, from the middle of nowhere, right? So if we are doing this in, from the middle uh, of nowhere in the Balkans, I think that anybody can do it and lo location is uh, no longer, uh, let's say, uh, doesn't have to be uh, a barrier for anybody to succeed. Yeah, I had an interesting discussion with previous guests with uh, Danko Jevtovic from Serbia. Uh, and he also told me that he would like to work with local teams on the governance of the companies because it's important, let's say, that uh, we get some companies in the region that are locally owned, uh, let's say, and also that are aware of the governance so that uh, wealth accumulates in the region. So I do think that, uh, let's say, there's a growing awareness of, let's say, that we in the region uh, should take care of, let's say, the infrastructure ourselves and not to wait for some kind of government intervention or something like that. It should be entrepreneurial movement, let's say, so I really respect that. Uh, so the last question, let's say, after more than 10 years now of, uh, let's say, struggling on the product front and so on, what's your advice now to somebody who's starting and would like to build out product company? What's uh, this? one of the single most important thing that they should focus on in your, in your opinion uh users yeah <laughs> <laughs> just just talk talk with them every day you know i think that uh we were uh we were lucky that the starting team was really great and i would talk with one user and then just turn next to my team and then i would say it loud like this is the the challenge. This is uh, what I've checked the API. This is what we can do. You know, let's do it. And they would just okay. This is easy. We'll we'll do it in two hours, right? And they would uh, they would we would uh, ship this new feature or this request, and the the user would be like, wow, you know, like. Uh, and uh, I think that's the advantage of of building a SaaS product is that you can change it so easily. And I remember. I don't recall which book was, but in the early days of SaaS, uh, they would prank customers. Like uh, somebody would call them with a bug, and while they were on the phone speaking, they would fix the bug, and they would say like, "Okay, can you refresh?" And then the user would apologize. So sorry, I it might uh, it must have been my imagination, right? So uh, that's the the thing. And the other thing is uh, what I'm now trying to constantly tell to everybody is ship the features. They don't have to be perfect. There is uh, also another great saying. I think it was from Reid Hoffman. He said like, if you're not embarrassed from the first version of your uh, product, uh, you ship it too late, right? So uh, don't don't assume. Ask your users like ship. See if it works. If it doesn't, then just uh, go back and improve it. But I think uh, uh, we we've always had this mindset of uh, okay, let's do the MVP, uh, put it out there, get the feedback from the users, see what they think, what they need, what they don't need, and then just improve and build uh, on top of that. And I think in order to do that successfully, use you really need to talk to the users to understand their problem, to understand their use case, so you can build, uh, let's say, the Pareto law says that 20% of the features bring 80% of the value, right? So find out uh, those 20% uh, uh, of the features, bring them online fast, 
talk to the users, get their feedback and just go on, you know, because I think in our region, usually people are too scared to share their idea uh, and to talk about uh, their ideas that somebody will steal it. And that's one thing that I understood is that everybody has tons of ideas. And if you go to San Francisco, everybody you meet has a startup and they have an idea and nobody can execute the idea the way you have uh, planned to execute. So at the end of the day, you can look at mail apps, right? They're still being built, like, and they're still being acquired for a lot of money. So uh, it's not a new idea, but you, you have some insight. You're solving the problem in a different way for a niche market. Uh, go, go ahead and uh, speak about this idea, discuss. And uh, yeah, I think that, that would be the my advice. Don't be afraid to to talk and if somebody steals your idea it just means that your way of thinking is right and then the next idea you will have will most likely be successful Nicola, thank you for sharing your experiences and for this great advice in the end and I would also like to thank everybody who listened to us till the end thank you and always happy to to help and to give back so thank you as well uh, it was great uh, talking and sharing uh, this experience If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And do not forget to tell your friends about it. I would really appreciate if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next. Just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. The episode show notes are available on www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. See you next week.